0: Hi, you're listening to the Raise the Vibe with Liz podcast. I'm your host, Liz Peterson. I interview today's inspirational speakers and healers. Thank you for listening to the show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Raise the Vibe with Liz. I'm your host, Liz Peterson, and today I have Jennifer Lovely joining me today. And we're going to be talking about all sorts of goodies but first let me explain to you who she is jennifer is an ontological coach somatic practitioner trauma coach jennifer is a mom grandma wife pilates and yoga practitioner practitioner ran multiple studios turned coach her first love is deeply connecting with humans she says it doesn't matter She wants to know your story and loves a good story. Both her boys gave her a good story. And at the ages of 18 and 19, they became homeless, heroin, meth addicts. Jennifer could not stop looking, looking at herself, why she was here, wasn't really here, and what was next. Her life turned into an addiction of where is Joe and where is Jake? After 16 rehabs and 16 jail stints and hundreds of thousands of dollars, she found Jennifer. Therapy, coaches training, and many certifications in parts work, transformational breath, ontological training, and more. Jennifer courageously chose to prioritize herself and today is married, living in Whidbey Island, visiting Southern California once a month, and supporting other women to look. Jennifer, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here with you. I'm excited to have you. Looking forward to this conversation. Me too. And I'm excited because, you know, our first session that we ever had together, you're like, so let's talk about you moving. And it's funny because I was trying to move, um, but I just didn't know where, (laughs) what I was trying to move. (laughs) And there was a lot going on that I was trying to move. And so I thought that that was such a great metaphor for my life at that particular time. Oh, I have goosebumps, Jennifer. Thank you for sharing
0: that. That's (laughs) awesome. I didn't know that I'm so happy for you. Yeah. Yeah. You really have blossomed. I've watched you just grow and become empowered and create this beautiful life for yourself. And Mm. it's been fantastic to watch and motivating. Mm.
1: And I hope motivating
0: to many women. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you. You're welcome. So let's hear about your journey from beginning to where you are right now.
1: Well, I think that, you know, for the most part, life was fairly um, good. I, you know, when I say good, I don't know that I knew any different as a young, as a youngster, it was like life was chaotic and, but it it was just like, this is what we do. My mom um, left when I was five, she gave me to my dad. And my stepmom and I lived with them for pretty much my whole life. And I was in sports. Um, I traveled the world playing soccer. I had many friends, um, grew up in Southern California. And there was a lot of secrets in my family that you know nobody spoke about. And I always struggled with that. And I was always in search for the truth one of the secrets was, is that I spent um, seven years being um, sexually abused by my brother mm-hmm. and, um, and that changed the trajectory, I suppose, or not of where my life maybe was going to go. And so at the age of, I think I was 13, my family were 14. We moved to like Havasu city, Arizona, and that really opened up um, all of the possibility of, of trouble for me there wasn't a lot to do. I didn't play soccer anymore. I didn't have the friendships anymore. And so it really forced me to be outside of myself looking for external things to validate myself, which um, I became a really rebellious teenager and um, life at home was tough. And it just seemed normal because it was kind of chaotic. When I was um, 17, I met my future husband my children's dad, and um, he was thirty, and nobody like thought to say like, "Hey, like probably not a good idea," or "That's not okay." It was like it was just normal, and so I left home and ended up with him, and had my first son by the time I was twenty, wow. and then my second son came shortly thereafter, and I was um, sad. I was a sad girl and I thought I was happy, but I was deep down. I was really sad. And at the age of 23, um, I ended up leaving him with my two kids and struggled and struggled and struggled as a single mom. And so a lot of ups and downs. And it wasn't until, um, you know, I had some therapy, um, you know, like life would sort of stable out for me. But I never felt good in my skin. I always felt like, imagine itching all the time, like I needed Benadryl all the time to manage the feelings. Um, And for me, it was always looking outside myself and looking around. Somebody else, somebody was going to come save me. There was going to be a hero. And there were periodic heroes in there with different men that I found. But mostly I um, felt stuck and sad. Um, and so it wasn't until I was, I had married my second husband and um, he was traveled a lot for work and did really well. And on the outside, we lived in a very um, luxurious life. And, and on the inside, it was brutal. It was verbal abuse, physical abuse, and a lot of um, pain. When my kids, um, when I finally sent my 16 year old to rehab, It was about three months in, he had been arrested several times, been kicked out of every school that, and I was angry that I had to go to this rehab every day and be there for four hours and do this work. Um, I just thought if I could have driven through, kicked him out and said, fix him and send him back to me, um, that would have been great. But what I know now is that when we send our kids for help, and they come back to the same sick household. We're speaking two separate languages. And so I got to learn his language. And as I got to learn his angry language, I got to really begin to understand myself. And I really couldn't stop looking. When I say that, my, my obsession for their, um, like to get them better was, to, it, w- it was my whole life. And the thing that was interesting about that is that my obsession to get anybody better was my whole life. I thought that if I could get other people better, that would translate into me being better. Mm, Yeah. So um, that was that. And so that's really where the journey really begins. And I had to, at the age of 18, they were um, both homeless, both um, on heroin and meth. And I moved away and <clears throat> it was painful. I thought I was a terrible mom for moving away, but I had to save myself. And in the meantime of me saving myself, I was actually supporting and saving them. I just didn't know that at the time.
0: Wow. Can you walk yeah. that through us so our listeners can hear how healing yourself helped you with your voice?
1: Yeah, um, you know, it's interesting. I had a client uh, the other day. She said, I'm heartbroken. I said, Talk to me about what you're heartbroken about. And she says, Well, my daughter hates me. And I said, Do you like you? And she said, No. And I said, Ah, that's it. That's the piece that we've got. Because when you begin to like you, your daughter's going to begin to like you. And oftentimes, really what it was is my focus was so intense and on them that I wasn't able to see my own blind spots, the things that were actually um, chaotic and disruptive for my children. And so I moved out of the way for them to get the help, but also so that I could get the help. And it looked like me prioritizing myself. It looked like me spending time with me what did I like what did I not like what is my favorite color oh what's what do I what do I what's the food that I really like to eat because everything became really about them and other people Mm -hmm. and I I I say this that I was a shell of a person Um, and what I mean by that is the insides didn't match the outsides and I deeply wanted the insides to match what the outsides looked like. And I didn't know how that would be. So the journey really was divorcing the husband, letting my kids go through jails and institutions and all of that. Um, And I was there. I love you. I support you. And I believe in you. And I also love myself and believe in myself. And so I'm going to be, cause I, in order for me to be okay for you, I have to be okay for myself. Wow. And so that really was the journey. Like I could not help them if I couldn't help me. So it was learning how to say, no, it was learning how to go. This is what I'm willing to do. And this is what I'm not willing to do. And so that really, um, that was part of the journey I, I think i was interrupting you i apologize no not at all you're right
0: on point with what i was going to ask because it sounds like a huge lesson in boundaries
1: in yeah. your son's
0: recoveries
1: yeah and it actually is that also was a huge lesson in owning my own power because the truth is at any given time any given day during the week during our lifetime There is always somebody to solicit us to abandon ourselves. Yeah. And are we going to do that? And it's not about, well, I did it. I abandoned myself and beating myself up. It's really about, oh, I just noticed I'm abandoning myself. Oh, and then looking, what is that about? What am I avoiding in myself? Why is it that I want to please other people? more than I want to please myself.
0: Right. And so many of us do that in our lives.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. You wrote a great chapter in addiction diaries. The chapter was called reclaiming grace. And there's a part in it where you say your son didn't show up for his appointment and you signed up, you Mm -hmm. decided to go to therapy. And when you got there, she said, your parts are all over the place. (laughs) What was that
1: experience like (laughs) for you? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, I was wounded, so it hurt. Um, And I didn't quite understand fully what she was saying. And so I was curious. And I thought for a moment that like, literally, she could see my parts all over in different places. (laughs) I thought it was like, you know, she could literally see that. But what I came to understand is that my little children that live inside of me were the ones reacting to life in all different ways. And so we literally had to go back from five all the way back up to 18, 19, and really reconnect with them so that they weren't running my life. Right. So they were reacting. I, the adult in me wanted to respond, but we were all reacting because they had never been healed. They were wounded and sad and in pain.
0: How beautiful that you were able to do this parts therapy and dip into your wounded child and unravel all of those things to be able to come out of those reactions. And that's beautiful shadow work, Jennifer. Can you dive into that a little bit more and how the shadow work can help clients?
1: Yeah, so really what it looks like is, um, for instance, it'd be like, who's showing up today? I'm noticing that you're having a reaction to that. So who is showing up today? And allowing that part speak to what they're feeling. And then as they speak to what they're feeling, allow the wise part, for instance, the wise part of Liz to then talk to the reactive part and tell them what they should have been told when they were that age. Mm-hmm. And it's very emotional and painful and you, it's reparenting. It's reprocessing that old trauma It's allowing the voice that never got to speak to finally speak and integrating all of those parts, because ultimately that's what integration is, is really integrating everything. So that we, I imagine it like a um, bicycle, the wheel of a bicycle and the spokes and that those spokes represent different parts of that wheel. Mm -hmm. And that in order for it to move forward, There's that integration
0: piece. Nice. And I imagine you're uncovering all kinds of belief systems around that.
1: Yes. Right. And realizing that half of the things that would come out of my mouth were not really my beliefs, right? They were things that were told or I had to believe in order to survive the experience.
0: Right. And how did you apply that to the woman you were then?
1: Um, Say that. Say that again.
0: How did you apply that work to the woman that you were in that moment?
1: Um, well, I think that in that moment, I, I think really it was, it was about compassion. Right. It was really about like going, my gosh, this woman um, has been through a lot and really allowing and really seeing her and witnessing her. As a way to, the deeper I could be compassionate for myself, the deeper I could be compassionate to others. Because one of my um, survival mechanisms is this deep level of righteousness. And righteousness keeps me from being connected to you. Hmm. Right. And ultimately, I want to be connected to you but that righteousness is like this protection layer of protection that keeps me from having to be vulnerable and having to have intimacy because it was too painful to have intimacy and being vulnerable. I would be in trouble for that. Right. I couldn't fully show up as myself. So this is like allowing myself to be in full expression. Mm,
0: that's beautiful, Jennifer.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, you're
0: welcome. And I'm really hearing also where this work really helped you come out of that victim state, mm-hmm. you know, around your boys and step into that self responsibility piece, all that internal work
1: that you did. Yeah. I mean, I mean, there was something really great about being a victim, right? Like you got attention, you know, people, people would do things for you. You know, there was, there was a, you know, a lot of great, great things that came out of that, except that it didn't really actually give me what I wanted. Right. Which was to feel whole and to feel good and to know that I could take care of myself and that they could take care of themselves. And that really was the thing. Is that I really wanted my children to grow up and take care of themselves, but I actually had to take care of myself for them to get that. Right. And what was it that got you there? Um, I mean, I think that there was just a point where 16 rehabs and the jail stints and, um, there was just a point where like, they had to want it more than I had, than I wanted it. Um, and I was exhausted running out of money. Um, and like, this could go on forever. And I think saying it out loud, like people would say, so you have kids, where are your kids? They're homeless heroin addicts. And I would say it because I had to say it so that I could get rid of the shame because the shame just like lived on me. But the thing is, is that their disease was became my shame. And and it's like, no, that's not mine to own. And so many of us, especially as a mom, I mean, you know, this our kids become extensions of who we are. Yeah. You know, and that's not true. That is so not true. And I happen to believe that you know, we are borrowing, we've made some pact with these souls before they come into the world. And these are all lessons for all of us. Right. And so we're in the mix of learning and we're, and this is the classroom that we're in right now. So we were in the drug recovery classroom for that period of time. And, um, and there was a lot for us. We, we made a pact to really learn and grow from this.
0: What would you say to other parents going through this?
1: Well, what I like to say is um, less focus on them and more focus on you. You didn't get them there. I'm sure that the environment, that um, that the child is in, could there could be, stuff there, but that it's not specifically our parents' fault, the parents' fault. So I deeply want people to know that. And what I really want them to know is to look at you, look at you, stop looking at them, but look at you. Nice. Yeah. yeah. The
0: inner work. And yeah. The inner work on yourself. You're actually being able to hold space better, right? Yeah. Right. Or your child as they're going through their process.
1: Right. Because so much of it is about like, I, Liz, I want you to not do that because I don't like how it's making me feel. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But, but the thing is, is like, well, let's talk about how you, how that makes you feel. And let's do that work around that rather than focused on making, controlling what they're doing. And that is the thing that really released me. Wow. Wow. And I don't, I don't know that, you know, I was just telling a friend, I would love to get to a place where I'm not crying about it. Like it's still painful. It was a lot of years and it was a lot of really painful things. Um, and there's always deeper work to do and there's always more places to look. Um, and it becomes less, um, Like, um, you're, you know, you don't have a magnifying glass under it anymore, right. Or over it anymore right now. It's like, oh, there it is again. Okay. Right. So one wound, many washes we have. Yeah. We have to continue doing it and doing it and doing it. It's a practice.
0: And doing that practice, doing the recovery work, where are some of the tools that you were able to tap into to help you along your journey?
1: Well, I mean, no is a complete sentence, right? Really, you know, one of the things that they have in, in the recovery programs is life on life's terms, but I had to look at, that's a great slogan, but I really had to look at what was the life, what were my life's terms that I wanted to live? And when I really looked at what were the terms that I really wanted to live at, then I could begin the focus. And that became a great tool for me. Oh, you know, when we go off track, oh, that's not a part of the terms. That's not what I said that I wanted to do. So that was a big one. It's getting clear. Um, In the process of all this, I became an ontological coach. And so ontology is really the study of who you are being. And so it's how you relate to the world, how you relate to things. And so I began looking at how I related To things. And one of the things that, um, you know, I remember early on is that I um, referred to men as a species Hmm. Hmm. rather than a human, you know, human species or a human being. They were just another species. And um, what it had me have to really get clear on is that I was relating to all men. For the pain that I was in from early childhood. And I created, I related to them as an opposite or different species so that I could survive. It was a coping mechanism. Right. And when I really got under that, and part of that was the, the men that were in my coaching training. And I w- I allowed myself to receive love differently than I had ever received, which which takes me to today, now that I am a married woman again, right, is that I can relate to this man um, and receive from this man in a way that is so, um, that I'm worthy of. I didn't know that before. I mean, I really didn't. I really, really questioned my worthiness. I thought it was for, you know, like, was only good enough for sex it was I was a it was um I traded you know it was like I was only worthy for my outward appearance but never that somebody would really deeply cherish me it was really like looking back it's like really painful thank you for sharing that with us yeah yeah thanks yeah yeah and congratulations by the way thank you it was so beautiful
0: the pictures were beautiful Yeah, very happy.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you.
0: You also have a program based around um, the chapter of the book, Reclaiming Your Grace. You want to talk about your program and how it would help?
1: Yeah, so Reclaiming Grace is when we're born, we have grace. God is giving us grace. The God of your understanding has given grace to this being, and it's perfect. And it's not until we're like between the ages of, I don't know, four and 10, that we begin seeing the world a little differently. Somebody told us, no, somebody maybe smacked our butt or our hand, shamed us for something. And we begin to slowly lose that grace. And our caretakers oftentimes are wounded deeply and they don't know maybe that they're wounded, but. That shame gets put on us as little ones. And so we walk around with shame, whether we, you know, had a terrible childhood, whether we were abused or not, there is some form of shame that we pick up on, mm-hmm. and it's usually not ours. And so the work that I do is really beginning to unravel, pulling the string on that shame and having people look. At where that comes from, and and to really go back and look at where that shame comes from um, is oftentimes scary, and it's oftentimes freeing. And this isn't to make our parents or our caregivers wrong. It's not at all because it's not about pointing fingers. Mm-hmm. It's really just about um, reconnecting to ourselves and deeply prioritizing and loving ourselves in the way that we so wish other people could love us.
0: Right. Oh, and diving into that shame really takes us to our inner core woundings, you know, those belief systems of being unworthy or being not enough, you right. know, and our parents, you know, wounded people, right? <laughs> don't raise wounded
1: yes. People, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really get out of it alive. Right. Like it's not like, you know, and, or we don't get out of it unwounded. Right. I mean, all of us are walking, we're walking wounded and even more so today than ever there is so much that we're having to go back old belief systems, right. That aren't ours that were never ours. I mean, it's even, we could go even as far into like, even the things we learned in school, half of it is not even true, right? Right. So we've got to go back and pull, pull the layers and really look. And do I believe this? Is this what I want to own? And is this the flag I want to carry around the world? Is it serving me? Or do I want to maybe begin thinking, sharing something different, you know?
0: Yeah. And it's so true when you get in and you do the inner work and you're working on these belief systems and these childhood woundings, you come out a different human being, you're unwrapping Mm -hmm. them. And then when you see them, when they get triggered and they start coming to the surface, then you can work on them in the moment. Yeah. And it only takes a couple seconds just to recognize and then Mm -hmm. pivot or shift.
1: Yeah, Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, and that's, I love that. I mean, it's just like, it really is just a pivot and just a shift. And I don't want people to think that it's that easy. It's not easy. (laughs) It is not easy. No, (laughs) triggers are treasures. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, they're not always fun. No, they're not fun. Why don't we dive into triggers a little bit because they really are teachers. They are. So tell me some of your triggers. Like when you, what do you notice? Like really like, you know, gets you like for me, like integrity, like I, I'll, I'll tell you, I recently just had a trigger. I was working with this addiction doctor and, um, I knew from the beginning he was a narcissist and I still continued working. And, um, so a client showed up and said, I'm really concerned about the money that is being you know asked of me to pay for this da da da, da, da. And I just said the thing because I knew it was like because there's too much money so that's why you continue to be, are in this program because you're paying so much money and they keep wow. you know and um, he recorded me me saying that and sent it to the doctor and it totally blew up in my face, right? And you just threw you under the bus totally, (laughs) but you know what, Liz, I was like this. I didn't, there was nothing anymore to defend. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, this was my truth. But I realized that inside of this was, I held so many secrets and lies of my dad's my whole life. And Mm. if I could hold those secrets, they were power. And if I could be a part of this, then that meant that I was accepted and validated and loved. Right. And that is why I didn't walk away from the narcissism right away. That's why I stayed in it. But as I, the more I stayed into it, the less I was aligned and the more I was triggered and the more uncomfortable I felt. And so I, what, And I'm not shitting myself, but what could have happened was I could have just decided this is too much for me. And I kept kind of trying, but I could have really said no, but I didn't. And so because I abandoned myself in that, it all came and blew it back up in my face. Mm -hmm. And we so
0: often do abandon ourselves.
1: Right. But the thing was so great. The treasure was realizing what I got out of hanging out with a narcissist. Cause it was like hanging out with my dad.
0: Right. And they are yeah. little mini lessons <laughs> and little yes. kind of little peekaboo holes into our past. <clears throat> <for Yes>. sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 And they are peekaboo peekaboo holes. I mean, they're <laughs> kind of cool. I mean, it's kind of cool. Like to look back, like I was like, Oh my gosh. And so I felt like at that moment when I had the epiphany, that I was like standing on Mount Rainier and I could see everything. And I was like, okay. And then came the disappointment and the shame that, ah, here I am again. Yeah. And I really just stood in that and did the work around it and talked to that 12 year old that held those secrets and really loved her so that we we could begin to move forward and move on. And today I I really don't feel like I have any defending to do. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that that's easy to look at. I mean, nobody likes to look at like, you know, that stuff.
0: No, I did that with myself a couple of weeks ago and just beat myself up for a couple of days and then, you know, doing the work and processing through it and, you know, finding who is it in me, you know, that reacted to this or, did this right. Or needed to people, please, or make sure everything was okay. Right. Right. Abandoned myself. Right. Yeah. It is. It's a deep dive. Yeah, Yeah. it is.
1: It is a deep dive. So, and I love that. I love that you do that because it's important because what it does is it's going to change the trajectory of, we won't walk down that same street anymore and fall in that hole anymore. Right. The insanity begins to (laughs) like, we begin to become sane.
0: Yes. Not repeating the same pattern over and over again. Yeah. 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 And even if you do trip and fall into the same pattern, you know, you have the tools to be able to work yourself through it and then see it more clearly the next time. Right. It pops up. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so much of addiction is like, it's, 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 I don't ever like to think that it's a bad thing or, you know, when, when I say addiction or patterns, right. It's not a bad thing. These are all things that we created to survive. And it, like, Oh, good for us. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, really, truly good for us. And then, but it's not working for us anymore. So we get to go, mm-hmm. Oh, that's not working. So we got to find a different Way right, and that's that's the plasticity of our brain. That's the new you know patterns that we get to you know create, and it's kind of fun. Yeah, and and it's a lot of work. Yeah, untangling those old neural pathways and
0: creating new ones.
1: It yes. is. It's work. <laughs> it is that's
0: easy work. It, and it takes repetition.
1: Yeah, it does, and that's what practice. Why practice is so important. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah right for sure. You also do
0: transformational breath work. How do you bring that, weave that into your practice?
1: Well, for me personally, um, I, I'm, you know, in it like twice, twice a week, really. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, in, you know, the morning, just it'll start showing up. So it's circular breathing, holiotrope, you know, heliotropic breath is what it started. And then what we're doing is re um, we're allowed as the breath begins to move, you can literally feel parts of your body, tingling feelings, and you can kind of feel the energy move. And in that moment, we begin to make a loud noise like, ah, and as we're making that loud noise, it moves the old experiences, trauma patterns out of the body and creates new ones. And so for me, that was life changing. That's really when I stepped into like, how oh, I love you. It's when I could really love myself, like really love myself. I had never had that experience before, but I could really step into loving myself in a way that felt powerful.
0: Wow. And it really feels like embodiment practice. Yeah. Like you're moving those things out of your body with breath work and with sounds. And those things do move those blocks out of the energetic system, out of the chakras. Mm
1: -hmm. And then
0: you're able to find presence within your body and be grounded in your body. So then you bring
1: in that embodiment piece.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And, and that's really like the wholeness that we're looking for. It really is the wholeness that we're looking for. And literally the, I could really feel the chakras moving and moving out. And I will say, I I have a woman that I work with and she said, for the first time, your crown chakra is um, open. And she says, it's like, I mean, really? And I, I thought, wow, that's amazing because, and my solar plexus, Mm-hmm. Um, because I always felt so much, dur- you know, in that space. Right. Uh, the family and of origin space. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so much. The powerful one for everybody. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it would literally hurt. Like it hurt for years. So um, to have that open and actually have those, I mean, I don't, I know for some people that is real woo-woo talk
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's a real thing. It's a, it it, it's a real thing. And to really have them moving is um, is life force. It, right. it makes a difference.
0: And to bridge the gap between the lower chakras, which is one, two, and three, and then yeah. the heart is the bridge and being able to get into the upper chakras to be able to move your life force through your body, yeah, yeah. to flow through your seventh chakra. Yeah. Then yes. it brings not only embodiment and your life force energy flowing freely into your body, but it affects every area of your life. You know, when you're able to channel your life force, you know, Mm -hmm. freely through your body, it opens up all channels in your life, you know, for joy and pleasure.
1: Yeah. Happiness. Well, and I mean, and that's the whole thing is like, so last year I went on this whole road of sexual freedom and stepping into like allowing myself the juicy pleasure of, of life, right? It's not just the juicy pleasure of your pussy vagina and you're having sex in the world. It's like really enjoying me and the juiciness. And, and as, as my chakras started to open, open up my lower chakra started to, and that has been closed for a long time because of my sexual abuse and really shut down. And as I began to allow pleasure, that began to open up. It's funny, Liz, how we punish ourselves Mm -hmm. in those ways. Yeah. Shutting down pleasure. Right. Shutting down um, our life force, shutting down playfulness because of our unworthiness or our old belief systems, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And we punish ourselves.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of outward belief systems. Yeah, you know, that we have to deal with culturally, culturally that are also shutting down, you know, the second chakra, which is our personal power, our sexuality, our creativity, mm-hmm. right? And when we shut those down because, oh, you're not supposed to do this or that, or you're ashamed because you did this or that, or women aren't supposed to act that way, or you know, women judging another woman because she's brighter you know or mm-hmm. yeah yeah all the different yeah
1: dynamics right and and you know so i remember like i'm i'm running through oak creek in sedona and i'm naked and i'm just like in full expression like i don't care i mean i suppose i could have gotten arrested or something but i was just in this space of allowing myself to be free but it was different from the space when I was a teenager where I thought that I was being so free, right? Right. It wasn't, you know, my promiscuity was about me trying to take my power back
0: mm-hmm. because
1: people stole it. This feeling it has felt like a real deep empowered place because I was prioritizing myself and I was owning my power rather than giving it away. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so that journey felt like huge for me.
0: That is so powerful.
1: And is that what? Go go, ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead.
0: (laughs) Is that what led you to um, create the Wet Pussy Podcast? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Like, what is the story behind that? How did you get there? You know, I know that women in the season of our lives are stepping more fully into this personal power, this sexual empowerment that it's not just about sexuality. It's about creativity and birthing yourself into the world. And I know a lot of younger women are doing this now, but what is the backstory to this creation for you?
1: Well, really it was, I took off. Well, you and I talked in like April or May of 2020. And then, um, and then I took off and I went to Arizona for, I don't know, like six months. I was just driving and having fun and enjoying myself. And Um, And pleasuring myself in all sorts of ways. Um, I was hiking. I um, was playing. um, I mean, to get really personal, I was, you know, bought myself a, um, a um, Reiki filled um, glass, no crystal. dildo. Yes. Yeah. And, and just like really enjoying pleasure and freedom. And I didn't, I wasn't quite sure what was going on. Everybody thought that I was like, she's going off the, off the end, but I had to get to a place where um, I was free. I just felt like I wasn't free and I didn't even know what that meant. Um, But pleasure was the access to my freedom. And it wasn't, it wasn't just the sexual pleasure. Right. But it was like, I wasn't going to do anything unless it made my pussy wet. And that really, that's really how the wet pussy Podcasts came about, right? It was just like, I, I don't know, no, not wet, not going to do it. And, and so then I began listening to my yeses and nos. My body says yes, so my body says no. And that is really what allowed the creativity to then begin to come forth. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and ultimately it was sourcing myself. It was really about sourcing myself and it was all about sourcing myself. And if I sourced myself, then I was available for my kids and my granddaughter. If I sourced myself, then I was available to be in relationship, which leads me to Thinking I was going to move to Orange County, back to Orange County, thinking that I was going to take this job with some friends who called and said, I've got this great position. You should come down here and basically uprooting my life and driving back down to Orange County. And when I got to Oregon, I called my boyfriend and I said, I can't believe this is all I got after five years. Like we, this is it. Like I'm going back. What are we doing? We were both sad but he didn't say anything. I mean, he was sad, but we just were like, okay. And about a week into it, I said, I called him up and I said, I think we're both doing the same survival dance. I keep leaving. You stand there and tell me that you want me to be in my freedom, that you love me, that you want me to live the life I want to live. Except that that's, a, I believe that's a survival mechanism. You're not stepping into, into intimacy and, you know, and being vulnerable. And I'm not. And so what are we doing? And in that moment, we said yes to each other. But it took, yeah, it took him like stepping in and really looking at himself. It took me going out, pleasuring myself in all parts of the world and parts of myself in order to come to that place.
0: And have the voice and the awareness to know mm-hmm. what wounds were going on, where you guys you know, were reacting from and to have mm-hmm. a voice to be able to bring that
1: forward. Yeah. That's I mean, huge. Yeah. And, and the coolest thing about it is like we ended up in partnership. It was the first time in my life where because I was running away, I wanted him to claim me, Liz, mm-hmm. and he wouldn't claim me. And, and that wound is because I was abandoned and if only he would claim me then I would be okay but what I needed to do is claim myself I just didn't know that wow Hmm. yeah
0: and what a great experience to be able to go to Arizona and reclaim yourself
1: yeah go anywhere and reclaim ourselves yeah. right like wherever that thing that place is yeah yeah yeah, it was really beautiful. and um, it's actually one of the most, probably one of the biggest things I'm proud of, you know? Because to really be able to step in and say, "I'm worthy of this love, I'm deservant of this relationship felt um, really powerful." Yeah, that's beautiful, Jennifer. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Gosh. I just want to sit there for a second (laughs) and just kind of let it sink in. (laughs) Yeah, I love that because you know what I call that? I call that sacred lingering. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Where we just get to like linger in this. Yeah.
0: Mm -hmm. It really is nice. And I think a lot of listeners, you know, would want to take that moment after that story and just kind of linger with it for a second. Yeah. Because it says a lot. Mm Hmm. You know, those moments are really gateways for us, right?
1: Yeah, they are. They are. I'm learning that, like that slowing down to really linger. Like I was never the girl that that like wanted to linger after sex, right? I was like, okay, we did the thing. Let me go pee because I'm worried about, you know, getting a bladder infection or whatever, you know, (laughs) in my mind, I'm always, and now to really, trust myself to linger feels really special. So it's nice to linger with you. It's nice to linger with you
0: too, Jennifer.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Yeah.
0: I want to backtrack a little bit to, um, finding our pleasure in life because I love how you said, you know, what makes me Wet, what is my yes? What is my no? And we hear, follow your heart, follow your bliss, right? And I love this concept of bringing pleasure into it because pleasure is missing from life in so many areas, right? Mm -hmm. And it's not Mm -hmm. just about sex, it's about work, it's about family, it's about food, even Mm -hmm. you know, and every aspect of our life, whatever lights us up, right? But instead of whatever lights us up, it's what makes me wet. Mm-hmm. So let's dive and unwrap that a little bit more because that's sure. like a really self-empowering piece, I think.
1: Well, I think, um, so if I were to come to you and I said to you, um, Hey, April, do you want to go hang out? What would you say to me? I'm not April, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? And I kept saying, Hey, April, you want to go hang out? You would be like, if, at some point you'd be like, I'm don't talk to me ever again. Cause my name's not April. <laughs> We know that our name is our name. We know that it's wholeheartedly. And like, that is something we deeply know, but we go out into the world and we, we know from sometimes we know like the food we like, the drink we like, we know what we like to do, but oftentimes we will abandon that to again, please other people. Right. Right. And so I want the pleasure piece is, I want you to know that the thing you want to do is a yes, the way, you know, your name is Liz. I want you to be like, this is a yes. And our body gives us that sense back. And I just got to a place where I was tired of doing things I didn't like. I was tired of saying yes to things that were a no. So I don't run errands. I found ways to, like, my husband doesn't mind running errands. He's like, yes, I'll run errands. Great. You do that. I started just stepping into finding ways that I just wanted to, I want to be in pleasure. Now, I, when I say this, ladies, there are things that we all have to do in our life that we don't necessarily like pay taxes, pay our bills, you know, all those things. But for the most part, I have found ways to be in pleasure over being miserable or doing the things I don't want to do. So no, I don't want to hang out with a narcissist. No, I don't want to be in business with this or this or that. Really, I began sourcing myself in a way that, I have a studio on my property. And so on the way from my house to my studio, I run my hands through Rosemary. I smell the roses. I touch. um, I've got another little succulent plant. I like to touch because that gives me pleasure. And so it's like 10 tiny things I do every day that gives me pleasure. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Sometimes it's three tiny things, but. Ultimately, pleasure is the purpose of my life, finding pleasure. And so it's not about doing the irresponsible thing necessarily, whatever that is for you. It's about finding pleasure in all ways that will feed us for the day, for the moment. And that really is how that came about. I got tired of not finding pleasure. I mean, you live on an island, a beautiful island. I live on a beautiful island. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of ways to find pleasure. And I think we forget, you know, those beauty moments. Mm -hmm. And rather than waiting for the perfect day and the perfect man and the perfect meal and the perfect whatever, what if we started creating that for ourselves? And that really allowed for me to be less of a victim and more in pleasure.
0: And how beautiful if everybody could tap into that, right? What a gift it would be for everyone.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I do work with men and I tell them that too. And when they step into that, they love it. And they, they really do. And they create like things they like to do for themselves The coolest part about that is it's so different than women, which is so cool. Yes. You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'd love to see a world where everybody is self-empowered.
1: Yeah. I know. I know. (laughs) Live in that dream.
0: Mm -hmm. And fully in their divine feminine and divine masculine, you know, without the toxic masculine and without the toxic feminine. feminine. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: You know, it's funny. I, speaking of that, I said to my son the other day. He's 23 now. He has a daughter, and he was complaining about his relationship about something. And I said, um, "You know, I don't. I don't really want to hear about this anymore, love." I said, "You know, the more, the deeper that you look at yourself, the deeper you're going to begin to see." And I said, "I raised you, and so I know." the toxic stuff I brought to you. I was toxic and I brought that to you and he stopped in his tracks and he looked at me and he goes, really mom. And I said, he goes, you can just say that. And I said, I can just say that. That's not who I am today, but I was that way at one time. And it gave it that opened up this whole like vastness of possibility for him. Because Sometimes our kids hold on to that stuff and they can't say it out loud because they're afraid, but in that it gave him permission to look at himself. And it also gave him permission to step into pleasure. Like I don't actually have to be miserable anymore. Right. It was interesting. It was a validating experience for both of us, actually. Sounds like it.
0: Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. 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 You also have another program that we want to touch on really quick before our time is up your source
1: program. You want to share that with everybody? Yeah. So it's a group for women. Um, you know, I, I initially thought it was going to be four months, but I've decided I'm going to keep it in uh, as an ongoing program. And there isn't like, um, you know, um, a a list of things that we're going to do. So we don't have to start at a certain time. It's not like that. It's more about my teachings on how to source yourself to prioritize yourself. And then through sourcing, we're also in community sourcing. So when then we're also sourcing each other. And so it's about a group of women that are not only prioritizing themselves, but they're prioritizing each other. And inside of that, um, connecting to one another. So it's a web of women really connecting and, um, expanding. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, it's a month. Yeah. So it's a monthly program and I have guest speakers, um, that come and then you also get 30 minutes one-on-one time with me. Sweet. So Yeah. Yeah. So I'm really on a mission for women to prioritize themselves. And that, that. that, yeah. And that in that we will have less talk about boundaries because we will be the boundary rather than I'm Uh putting a boundary on you. (laughs) Oh my God.
0: I have chills. That's amazing. I love that. Say that one more time. Yeah. So we won't, it's less
1: about boundaries and more about us being the boundary.
0: Yeah. 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 Oh, that's awesome. Goosebumps. Truth bumps. Truth bumps. Before we go, what is one thing that you would like to leave
1: our audience with today? Mm. I would like everybody to know that they are worthy and that their dreams are worthy and that they don't have to do anything that they don't like anymore, that that's not the world that we live in anymore. Nice. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Awesome, Jennifer. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. Beautiful. It's been such yeah. a pleasure to have you. Such a great discussion.
1: Definitely. Thank you so much. For joining. I really enjoy. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. High vibes, lady. Yes. High vibes. <laughs> how can people reach you, Jennifer? Um, you can find me on Facebook, or um, which is Jennifer Lovely Coaching on Facebook, or you can find me on Instagram at Jennifer L. Lovely, um, as well as JenniferLovelyCoaching.com. Perfect. Thanks, yeah. Jennifer.
0: Yes, yeah, thank you. Very, thanks. Yeah. And thank you, everyone, for joining us today. Again, this is Liz Peterson, Raise the Vibe with Liz. And remember to get out there and raise the vibe, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to today's show on Raise the Vibe with Liz. If you like this content and want to support me, please go to Patreon at Raise the Vibe with Liz or click the link in the description of this show. And remember, change starts with you. So get out there and raise the vibe. Thank you, everyone.